Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. My name is Larry Landon. We are in the Ignite space in the lower level of the Hamilton East Library right in downtown Fishers. Uh, like everything else, they've cut back on some of their activities, but please come on down and see what they have to offer. They still have artistic uh, projects available. I am recording this in what's called the AV studio, where TV and audio productions can be done. I'm using my own equipment, but uh, the library has some very advanced equipment here as well that they use. So uh, if you're interested in any of that, uh, come to the Ignite space just uh, ask one of the librarians to give you a tour and inquire about anything that may be of interest to you. My guest today is Nate Lella. Is it Lella or Lelly? Uh, Lelly. Yep, like so, Kelly, but with an L. Okay, so we're going to put that E on the, yeah. on the long E, as, that, my, as the nuns taught me in grade school. That's right. So Nate Lelly is a host of a new uh, podcast. It's about real estate and the construction industry locally. It's called In Construction Influencers. Um Here's one thing people have to be careful about because there is another podcast which is just called Construction Influencer. So if you Google it, you may get another podcast. So put that I-N at the beginning. So I appreciate I, that. Thank you for that call out. Because <laughs> I tried that. I thought, oh, that's not the podcast I'm looking for. But uh, So it's a very popular name, that's for sure. Uh, you have more than 25 years experience in construction management. Uh, you've worked here locally. Uh, your specialties are uh, industrial, retail, senior living, healthcare, all core industries for fishers and the surrounding area. Uh, but my favorite part of your first podcast introduction was the fact that you love restaurant projects because you love the grand openings. Now, when I, were, I made a living as a journalist years ago, I used to love to do that too because it was free food and drink everywhere. Free food and drink. That's exactly <laughs> right. It, it was always a, a big to-do when you open up a new restaurant. And, and, and certainly they have the soft opening so you can go tra- try out the food first. Then they have the grand opening for the food and drink as well. Yeah, and then the, they're anxious to show off what they can do. So they're going to show you their best foot forward and uh, always enjoyed that. But uh, yeah, so we have a lot we can talk about. But I want to start off, and you've had your first podcast uh, that has been posted down, and it's available. Uh, your first guest was a man named Jacob Everett, and, and his background, based on what I heard, is economic development. He started that at, lo- at local communities and worked at the state level and is now in the private sector uh, advising people in the private sector how to how to do that. Now, I have to tell you, a I, I, little geeky thing to start with here because uh, I retired from the federal government. I was a journalist, then I went to work for the federal government for 28 years and retired in late 2011. Well, after I retired, for about five years during that period, I did some teaching uh, for Indiana University, I taught tax professionals continuing education for five years uh, after that retirement uh, as a contractor. And I heard Mr. Everett, your guest, raise the issue of asset segregation. <laughs> and I thought, well, it's a long time since I've heard <laughs> that. Uh, asset segregation, I'm not going to get in the weeds to that. It, to, to, to put it simply, it's a way of aggregating your assets so you can get a better depreciation deduction on your taxes. Now, Mr. Everett works for a firm called McGuire Sponsor. He says it's not a CPA firm, but they sure sound like they know their stuff on taxes. Yeah, certainly. They certainly know their stuff on taxes, and we're helping helping companies handle um, that type of thing. And, and cost segregation is still used in the real estate world quite a bit every year. 
um, going into tax season. And so he does more on the site selection, um, incentive, tax incentives that municipalities might be able to help their owners um, or, or the developers, um, companies coming into their loca- locations. And that's exactly where I'm going next. Um because you talked about site selection, incentive packages, and obviously he was involved in that when he was with government. Now that he's uh, Mr. Everett, your guest, is working in the private sector, he's trying to, to advise his clients on how to best uh, deal with with all that. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I know in the past you've worked with companies who look at government incentives as one uh, way of looking at it. I remember I, I talked to uh, some I've talked to some people who who do this for a living. You know, this whole idea of, of advising companies on where to locate. And I asked one of them, I said, uh, what, what about uh, tax incentives? How important is that? It's one element, I was told. It's not the deciding factor, but it could uh, be an important part of an entire package of incentives or, or just the quality of the community where you want to locate uh, so I'm I'm curious. You've had some experience in this, and I heard you talk to Mr. Everett about that. Um, I'm just curious how you view this whole issue of incentives, which often become, as you know, a political fodder locally. Right, right. Um, I've played a lot in the construction world, and so a lot of the owners and developers that we've worked for are uh, would usually go to the local municipalities and would be asking for some version of incentives. And it seems like there's all sorts of incentives that can be given depending on what opportunities um, a company or a developer is looking for. There's TIF, which is a tax incremental – Tax increment financing. Financing um, that, that – has a lot to do. But then there's also companies out there that um, do more in the workforce with tax incentives for workforce. So if they can bring in more employees to the local community, is there an opportunity to get a little bit more tax um, incentive um, for more employees, more bigger, more bigger nests? Um, Probably not better English, but bigger facilities, better production facilities um, that just helps the community. Um, a lot of times the community is willing to make an investment in that opportunity for that company. Because I was told that, uh, for example, um, I, how do I, I'm just trying to find a good way to put this. Uh, it, what we describe as old manufacturing, manufacturing is a lot different now than it was 20, 30 years ago. Absolutely. It's much more automated, much more technologically driven. But old manufacturing was very heavily dependent on tax incentives and all kinds of other incentives governments could give. I'm being told that's shifted a little bit, that what you talked about, the availability of a workforce, the education level of a workforce, uh, what workforce is available. I mean, uh, the quality of the community, the education system. Uh, it's really Is it really more of a mix now uh, that the tax incentives are there, maybe as a tiebreaker in some areas, but it's not the, the focus it once was? I agree with you. I think you're right. I think it that's, is. That's not me talking. Those are other experts <laughs> I talked to. It, yeah, I, I don't know that it is the, the end all incentive, but it certainly can help keep some um, uh, some companies in the local um, community, as opposed to them relocating to some other community looking for incentives. I think it certainly helps, um, but it's not the end all decision maker. So how does, um, just in a general sense, uh, since you've worked in this area, 
How does Fishers measure up generally to other communities that uh, are bidding for these projects? You know, I I play on the construction side, and so what I've seen, it seems like Fishers um, is is high end, um, right up there with providing these incentives when they feel like that's a good um, opportunity for the community. I feel like they're great stewards of the money, and so they they provide that when it's a good opportunity. For Fishers, um, I'm curious whether this has an impact or not, but how big was it that IKEA decided to locate in Fishers? Oh, that was huge. Um, that brought a lot of um, a lot of other values. They were able to do the yard based around that. Um, some other investments, Top Golf, um, Portillo's, um, Crew Car Wash is over there. I think that that um, was huge to be able to land that. Of course, now you know you're not allowed to call it the yard anymore. The, oh, that's true. There, that's you, true. They ran into some trademark issues, not Fisher's. Is that right? I didn't realize it was a yeah. trademark issue. <laughs> that was my understanding. So there is still a street in the complex called Yard. Okay. But the complex is called Fisher's District now. Fisher's District. <laughs> so, <laughs> I still call Deer Creek Deer Creek, I you suppose, know, too. I'll, I think I'm going to call it the yard talking to my wife every time we go out there. But, you know, Deer Creek's a great example, is it not? Although it's interesting that... You know, HSC Schools is going to build a, a new school in Wayne Township. They're going to call it Deer Creek. Oh, no kidding? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Which uh, I thought was, okay, nice to bring that old name back. To right, bring, absolutely. Give, a, give that a little uh, little uh, more uh, respect, I It'd suppose. be good if they had the same logo or, or a similar similar logo as well. Don't think they're that far along. They haven't started construction <laughs> yet. <laughs> it is going to be built, as we understand it. Um I want to talk more about location decisions because you're, I was really fascinated. And by the way, I want to back up a little bit here, uh, maybe talk about, talk about this in another way because my my po- I do a, several series of podcasts. I do these local podcasts with local people. I do some f- uh, film reviews. I do a film podcast with two partners. I do another podcast series about a group of federal employees where I used to work uh, just as a service to them. It's all volunteer work. But I think when you want to do a podcast series, you have to have an audience in mind. So what is your audience? My audience really is the uh, construction, real estate industry, um, architects, engineers, contractors, development, real estate brokers, insurance, anybody that plays in that realm, funding, banks, um, that really play in that realm um, around construction and real estate. Yeah, listening to the the first uh, episode, there's a little geeky uh, stuff in there, and, but there's a lot of general interest information in there too. I think it's in everybody's interest to uh, uh, to know what kind of uh, development thinking there is out there. Absolutely. Uh, and I want to get back to location decisions. I'm still fascinated by that because you your discussion with Mr. Everett. Uh, I didn't. I don't think you use this phrase particularly, but I, I kept thinking about how the devil is in the details. You talked about how important the details are in your discussion. Explain why that's important. The details for what he does, what his site selection and incentive um, considerations 
play into it? Is that your question? I mean, the discussion you had with him about you just talked about how right. important the details are. Right. And I just thought devil must be in the details. Well, why why are the details so important when you're looking at this realm of location I think the decisions? topic came up, that conversation came up, and his conversation was because he works for a lot of companies. He'll work for the end user or in that situation was working for the end user, and they were looking at different locations to – plan their next manufacturing facility or production facility. And so the the devil really was in the details and of what kind of um, incentives can they get from the local municipalities to, to move a new um, manufacturing facility into a new location. So they were moving that from out west down to the southeast of the United States, and they were looking at multiple locations. And so there was a lot to play in there. Can, does the workforce um, support that? Um, does the local community support that? There was a lot to play, and I felt like Jacob did a really good job of saying that, you know, McGuire Sponsor will help figure out those details. Well, I know that people, for instance, in Fishers who are looking at people who are wanting to develop here, they, they are very worried about they, they they pay a lot of attention to detail i guess i should put it that way uh i was told that for you met, uh, you mentioned the fishers district once known as the yard and i am told that when thompson thrift came to the city with that proposal that the city turned down the first three proposals and and uh, it took about four exchanges of proposals to get that done. But that's not unusual, is it? That's not unusual. That's exactly right. There's a lot of negotiations that go on um, behind closed doors that, that happen in municipalities to make sure that everybody's happy, everybody's getting what they want. Um, yeah, you and I are doing this in person here at the uh, Hamilton East Library, but uh, I do a number of my – a podcast now on Zoom, and I usually leave. If it's well, sometimes you can't uh, because of distance. You have to, but uh, I, I leave it up to my guest. And you preferred the in person, which is fine. But the reason I bring that up is uh, I kind of figured that you were using Zoom on your first podcast. The reason I Correct. knew that is because your guest constantly had his dog barking in the background, That's right. which is one of those uh, casualties of, of doing so. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the new reality of uh, of the economy, right? That when you're doing all the Zooms, there's inevitably a dog barking or a child in the background. Yeah, somebody actually did a whole piece on on uh, the news networks when they, they do live shots. That they, they just do it from people's homes. And, and you, how many cats and dogs are crawling around. Right, right. How people are trying to Husbands talk. or wives <laughs> sneaking in the background. That also happens. Yeah, I saw a local meteorologist trying to do her weather from home and her husband walked down with the, with the laundry. <laughs> right, yeah. She goes, oh, hi, honey. Uh, you need to go. Thank you very much. Uh, but it's, it's actually, I, I don't know, uh, although I, you know, feel like you have to have a certain level of professionalism. There's really nothing wrong with hearing a dog barking in the right. background, really. Right. Do you think that? I don't think so either. I think it is the new norm, and you just kind of expect that. Uh, you talked with your guest, Jacob Everett, on your first podcast about the imp- impact of COVID on the economy in general and construction industry in particular. Uh, I, what I came away from that conversation between the two of you is that uh, the depth of the impact is still not known. There's this idea, and I'm seeing this nationally and a little bit locally, that there's all this pent-up demand and the construction people are ready to to zoom in. And I've talked to a couple of 
people in government uh, who are a little bit worried about getting enough bidders for some projects, especially oh, road projects. Right. They, they don't know that yet, but they're just sort of progressing. They're worried about are these construction people who have been not very busy for a while going to get bids. We don't know that. For, but COVID's had an impact. And Mr. Everett's also done some uh, work lobbying at the uh, General Assembly. And one thing he mentioned about about uh, dealing with the state lawmakers at the state house, and this is a quote he, he gave you, we cannot cut our way back. In other words, the legislature obviously has so much money to spend or, or whatever, but he's very concerned that if, if uh, we get too frugal in certain areas, that that will have a long-term impact. Uh, I'm just curious what you came away from with that discussion with them. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, and, and there is some concern that, that municipalities may have to cut their way back just because of the um, – maybe they didn't get enough tax revenue um, because people are not maybe not earning as much or they just had to make some tax breaks or some of the other incentive packages that the government is providing, that the overall municipality budgets may not be as big as they once were and being able to do all they want. And so um, that's going to be a big concern. But I do believe that the economy, maybe not the economy, but I think there's a lot of construction and there's a lot of real estate deals that are out in the marketplace at this moment that are pent-up demand. People are ready to go. People are, are chomping at the bit to, to get things done immediately, um, which is always interesting because um, there's you know we're only human, so we can only work so fast. But at the same time, people are ready to go, ready to spend some money, ready to get things back. Now, if you drive down 116th Street, you've seen a lot of construction for the last year or so. It's, it's Some of it will right. be done the end of the year. Some will take a little longer. I'm talking about that big complex. Uh, First Internet Bank will be a part of that. A hotel will be gorgeous. coming later. Well, it's it's shaping up. It's going to look nice based on the artist renderings. It's, right. it's a construction zone at the moment. Uh, but uh, But I do think that construction and fishers are going hand in hand. Because, but that started before COVID, uh, began before COVID. In fact, I remember asking the mayor, are you concerned about the, the uh, construction speed? And they were worried at first, how fast can you construct with your construction workers and doing the all the rules you need to, to, to add? You don't want an outbreak at your construction site. And from everything I've heard, uh, the COVID really hasn't slowed construction that started before COVID. Is that pretty accurate? That's pretty accurate. Yeah, correct. Um I saw, we talked about not cutting back, and I think this kind of ties into this, and I'm curious how you feel about this because workforce is a part of this. Uh, Ball State economist Michael Hicks has written an op-ed in the Muncie newspaper last couple of weeks, just had another installment of that in the last Sunday paper. And his point is that if you look at uh, inflation, school spending is down, really rather dramatically, if you look at the entire state. And... um, he feels that economic growth in Indiana is totally tied to our ability to fund our schools. Someone involved in construction and in the industry side of it, what's your view of that? I haven't read that article, but it's certainly an interesting take, and and I can believe that, that, um, that if we can fund our schools, that that would certainly help bring a lot back. So you're a believer that education needs to be funded and that should be part of the package? I believe then? that, yes. Okay. Uh, you also discussed uh, with Mr. Everett the uh, how much construction is in the pipeline. We talked about that a moment ago. 
I'm curious. What's um, and and the President Biden has said that will every, every adult that wants to have uh, a vaccination for COVID will be able to have it by the end of May. Uh, if he meets that goal, that whole you know that whole project works the way it's expected to work. Um, I'm just curious how much you think that will impact the speed of the construction industry coming back. I, I'm not sure. That's a good question because construction kept going throughout all of this. It just there there are hardly any projects that really missed a beat. There might be some COVID on a project, and they might have had to pull a trade or two off for a short duration of time. But construction kept going. They kept their doors open. They kept moving forward. Um, and it was moving at a fast pace already. So I don't know that um, having everybody um, vaccinated moves any faster. I think that it might put more projects into a pipeline to be done, but then you're going to start running into a workforce issue of is there enough um, people to do the jobs? And like you said with the government, are there enough bidders to bid the project? Because people will get busy. So does it move it faster? I don't know if it moves it faster. It just brings more. Well, we've got some big road projects. You see that State Road 37, we're um – really kind of the middle of that right now and they're going to be needing some they've got some bids already in but right that, that's going to need some some uh, some bidders down the road that's a great project i'm excited to have that well completed. i live not far from there so yes i'm very aware <laughs> I, in fact i used to drive uh, from downtown indianapolis to fishers every day yeah and uh it, this will be a godsend i mean there that is but and also the state finally has a plan in place to deal with the I-69-465 interchange. Okay. And I was told by one member of the city council who's an engineer that that's, where, that's a big part of the Fishers situation with people who work in downtown Indy right. and travel to Fishers back and forth. That's a big part of the congestion and difficulty. That was a, I guess it was okay for the time it was designed, but it's it can't handle right. the traffic right. of today. So there's a lot going on. I want to talk. Well, I just sorry, hope please. that they uh, they don't, do that construction at the same time they do the sixty five seventy split downtown and have all of Indianapolis shut down or in I, construction. Uh, I've already traversed the the beginnings of the right. <laughs> some of that. The split's going to take a while. There's right, it'll take for, a while. Those the, those roads have to be uh, reconstructed or at least redone about every ten to fifteen years. Right, Is right. That, so we're we're on that schedule. I believe for that they're doing time. every bridge that's in associated with in association with it. It's a lot of bridges. That's a lot of bridges. Yeah. I want to go back to something you touched on before because I, I I was curious about this too, and it's it's not camp, it's not come out the way I thought in a good way. I was covering uh, last year's budget discussions here in Fishers. You mentioned that, and there was concern. Uh, the mayor was talking about maybe we won't be able to give employees a raise. Maybe we'll have to delay this. Maybe we won't be able to do that. Um, he was doing what a lot of officials do, looking at the worst case scenario. Lo and behold, as the numbers started to come in late in the year, uh, things started looking better. Now I have to give the city credit; they negotiated a pretty favorable deal with Carmel on the income, t- the county income tax, which did help that. And there was fear that with the downturn in the economy, that number would go down, and it really did grow, which was a bit of a surprise. Maybe that has to do with being a um, 
a suburban area with a lot of office culture and people working at home continuing to earn their salaries. So I think that that's what it's turned out to be. So the city, in the end, was able to give employees a raise this year and has funded about everything they want to fund. Here's my question, though, because, you know, cities do depend on a number of revenue streams. One of them is the property tax. And uh, we have been lucky in Fishers, even when we had a downturn in the economy 2008 and 2009, uh, people around us, particularly Marion County, for example, the property values went way down. They, they didn't go up here, but they held their value. And so far that's happened. Uh, if there is any issue with the, the uh, property tax income stream for local governments, there's a bit of delay for that. Sometimes you don't really see that for a year or two. As somebody who watches construction and watches what, what's happening with real estate, uh, do you think that if I were a, a local budget official of a city or town or county, should I be concerned or should I just keep an eye on it? On the local property values themselves? I'm talking about the property tax you can expect to see in the next two or three years. Boy, Larry, I'm not sure that I'm uh, the right guy to ask that question. Okay. I, okay. I'm a big fan of Mayor uh, Fadness, and, and I'm happy that you know that things are working out well for him, but I'm not entirely sure that I, I know that answer. I can see that when I'm lo- out looking for properties for potential clients and, and whatnot, that property values are on the rise as far as commercial. So I'm not sure how to answer the... Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is that you're seeing commercial, which is your basic area, the commercial valuation of property has not gone down. Correct. So that stream should continue. And the housing market's a whole other thing. That's not your your expertise. I understand that. You mentioned something else that has been a, a big subject locally. I remember when we had our first mayoral election, the Republican primary, there were several uh, uh, forums, I think there were six or eight candidates, there were several, and I uh, was asked to moderate one of them, and one of the issues that came up was TIF, tax increment financing. Some of the candidates felt that was not the right way to develop. But I remember just a few years ago, and I want to hear your comment, because I talked to somebody who was involved in commercial real estate locally, and this gentleman told me, look, TIF is the, is the way that a local government can develop the way it wants. So, yes, you're giving tremendous breaks to developers. It's, it's very incentive-laden for the developer. But on the other hand, the developer is fashioning that project the way the city wants it. Uh, so there's a trade-off there. And so there's still some people who do not like the idea, and it's, it's a complex thing, but to put it as simply as I know, the property taxes generated from that project are used to pay off the bonds that were used to, to, to build it. And so that can go on for 20, 25, 30 years, depending on what the project might be. So I'm just curious, when it comes to your end, and you're looking at trying to put something together, are there some projects that just would not happen without TIF, or do you think TIF is just the, the icing on the cake? I believe that some projects would not happen if TIF was not involved. Um, I, it's a very um, important process um, option for the cities to use to help bring the development that they want, just like you said. Um, I hope that it stays in the local government's hands and that the state doesn't try to regulate that for the local government. 
um, because it is important for the local government to see their own vision of their own community happen. And I believe that, yes, project there are some projects that probably would not happen if TIF was not available. And the reason that uh, you two were discussing it is because he was at the state house, and the uh, state lawmakers are looking at changing that. Correct. So, but so far, no change has been enacted. So far, no changes. You know, not everybody decides to do a podcast. Lots of people think about it or dream about it, but never actually do it. Tell me about the, uh, the, the the whole system and how this worked for you. How did you go from thinking about doing a podcast to actually doing one? That's a great question. I appreciate you asking. Um, I, I just wanted to be able to share some of the inside conversations that I was having with some of the clients and, and people that were directing um, construction and real estate uh, in the Indiana area that I was working in. And so just wanted to be able to like the podcast says, take you behind the scenes in those conversations. And so it's just been an absolute blast having these conversations with people. Um, Jacob Everett with McGuire Sponsor is already out. We've got Tim Jensen with the Veritas Group coming up this week. Um, Mike Mattingly with Avenue Development. Ralph Balber with Aloe Property Group. Jeff Kingsbury with Green Street. He's, he's also helping to develop um, um, electric works in Fort Wayne. Um, very influential person, um, Cam Starnes with Taft Law, um, Jenna Hagman with TNH Investments. Um, so there's a good diverse group of people in many avenues in that construction and real estate. And I just see that there's all sorts of opportunities that we can talk about, workforce, diversity. Um, I'm, I'm passionate also about modular construction, and uh, I look forward to trying to bring this information to the public. Yes. I have to ask you this because uh, at the very end of your your podcast, you asked Mr. Everett what was his first R-rated film that he couldn't remember. Right. You know, I'm older than both of you, and I remember mine. Oh, what was yours? The Graduate. Oh, yeah. Mike Nichols' film, Dustin Hoffman's first That's big exactly film. That's exactly right. Great it flick. Was very controversial at the time. Right. But... Uh, <laughs> It was could they the, make that movie again today? Well, they could make it today. I don't know what reception it would have. <laughs> right. you'd, have to, you'd have to put it together a whole different way. No, it was revolutionary for its time. And Mike, Mike Nichols was that kind of director, both on Broadway and in, in film. Uh, but So okay, do you believe in Bigfoot? That was my next question. <laughs> I beat you to it. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, Nate, I, I've done talk shows for years on radio before I went into government service. I've been doing these podcasts for about five, six years I've interviewed all kinds of people, and I've never asked the question, do you believe in Bigfoot? Right. But you did. Yeah. And uh, my question to you was, where did you come up with that question? Yeah, that's interesting because uh, I had been using Coverdale Consulting on some consulting marketing um, processes um, through different companies. And that was one of their questions that they would ask for their um, potential interns when they're hiring people. And they it became kind of a joke within our group. I hope I'm not ruining it for them, but you know, they want to see people how they think, how they're going to respond to that question. And I just had a ball with that and just took off with it, and um, it's caught on a little bit. And uh, some people are like, yeah, I believe. And there's others that you'll find that are going to be on the podcast that are like, no, what? <laughs> no, not at all. 
Well, the question to you is: Are you going to ask every question uh, that it, uh, to a question to all your guests? You're going to make up a new one. I I have different ones, so okay. not everybody is going to get that question. So the Bigfoot question was just uh, for this time only. There's perhaps. there's several. I think I I've got six recorded, I believe, so far, and uh, about uh, four of them have answered that question. <laughs> You actually get so they don't remember the first R-rated film, but they have an opinion on Bigfoot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I have to tell you, I don't really believe in Bigfoot, but that's just for the record. <laughs> um, I guess I'd just give you a couple of moments here to just talk about yourself. Maybe tell us a thing or two. Maybe people don't know about you. Um, I grew up in Napanee, Indiana. Uh, I'm not Amish. That's usually the second question. Um, nothing wrong with being Amish, but I'm not. Um, Got a full ride swimming scholarship to Western Kentucky out of high school. Um, ended up being pretty good, but after a year, decided not to um, continue swimming. So I f- went to ITT and got a drafting degree at IEP at ITT. Um, ran off to Florida, ran to Lexington, Kentucky, um, and made my way back to Indianapolis. Finished my construction degree at IEPUI with a Purdue degree in construction technology. Um, while working at different construction companies. So it was one of those 40, work 40 hours, um, was go to school for 12 to 18 hours. So a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of effort put into that. Um, but then I was able to just go into the construction world and I've been in project management and estimating and, and supervision, um, business development here lately. And it's just been a, a very fun time in construction. Um, one one last thing, one more time. How does uh, I mentioned it earlier, but be more specific? How does someone find your podcast, which is called In Construction Influencers? Right, you can find it anywhere that podcasts are held. Uh, it's also on the Wish TV network of all Indiana podcasts. Um, so Spotify, uh, Apple, all those options. And if someone wants to contact you about whatever they may, uh, well, how would one contact you? Probably the best way is through my email. It's nate at natelelly.com. Okay. That last name is spelled L-E-L-L-E, right? Correct. Okay. Nate Lelly, been a pleasure talking to you. Good luck with your podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate being on yours. It's quite an honor. Well, it's an honor to have you here as well. Thanks and good luck to you with your podcast. Thank you.